Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey folks, today's show is brought to you in part by Untuck It. Ever wonder why traditional button-up shirts look so long and baggy? Well, that's because they were never meant to be worn that way. Untuck It shirts were specifically designed to be worn untucked. No tucking and no tailoring needed with Untucked shirts. Buying shirts used to make me crazy, but Untucked has changed everything. Their shirts fit because they make one for every kind of guy, tall like me, short, slim, and even guys with the bulging biceps and guys of every different age. Untucked shirts come in 50 different fits. You can check out my black v-neck oily bohunk t-shirt from Untucked on my Instagram account. That's the Bob Seska. And yes, they have your fits, too. They even offer free shipping and free returns on all U.S. orders. And right now, you can get 20% off your first purchase at untuckit.com with the promo code B-O-B-C. Don't put this off. Go now to untuckit.com or visit one of the 50 Untuckit stores in the U.S. or Canada and try one for yourself. And if you want the perfect fitting shirt, no matter your size or shape, try the original Untucked shirt Untuck it. And don't forget to use that promo code BOBC to get 20% off your first purchase at untuckit.com. And now let the cartoons begin. Broadcasting from Resistance Headquarters, relentlessly fighting back against the clown dictator and his regime of deplorables. Never give up, never surrender. This is the Bob Seska Show, presented by BubbleGenius.com. CJ, you're aware of the fire that happened at King Fatah Middle School? Yeah. That's a tragedy. Chris? Saudi News is reporting that rescuers were prevented from getting to several female students by the religious police. Yeah, I read that too. Steve? Does the White House have a comment? I literally just got this a minute and a half ago. I haven't spoken to the president or chief of staff, state, or anyone in communications. This is just me. Well, do you have a comment? I don't, know. CJ? I'm sorry, CJ, but you're not outraged by this? Outraged? I'm barely surprised. This is a country where women are allowed to drive a car. They're not allowed to be in the company of any man other than a close relative. They're required to adhere to a dress code that would make a Mary Knoll nun look like Malibu Barbie. They beheaded 121 people last year for robbery, rape, and drug trafficking. They have no free press, no elected government, no political parties. And the royal family allows the religious police to travel in groups of six carrying nightsticks, and they freely and publicly beat women. But Brutus is an honorable man. 17 schoolgirls were forced to burn alive because they weren't wearing the proper clothing. Am I outraged? No, Steve. No, Chris. No, Mark. That is Saudi Arabia, our partners in peace. Bob Seska. Today's Rachel Maddow Show Award for Headline Excellence goes to Bob Seska. The Bob Seska Show. 
damn right. And they pay cash. From our nation's capital, it is Tuesday, September 17, 2019, and this is the Bob Seska Show, presented by BubbleGenius.com. It is the greatest soap in the universe. Hi, what's up? My name is Bob. Hello, Bob. Day 971 of the Trump crisis, day six of the impeachment of Donald Trump, 413 days until the 2020 presidential election, and sitting in for the vacationing Buzz Burbank. Hello, Johnson. Pursuing the agenda of manicide, here's Kimberly. Hi, it's Kimberly A. Johnson from the Start Me Up podcast. I got to turn on your microphone. There you go. Here I am. Uh, Patreon.com slash Start Me Up. And of course, those of you who listen to the after party know Kimberly quite well. Um, <laughs> you had a gigantic week last week. Yeah, I did. You I inter- could use some more followers, though. <laughs> More patrons. Yeah, that's right. Patreon.com slash start me up. <laughs> well, you can go over there now and you can listen to your interview with Gloria Allred, Tim Wise, Kristen Johnston, and Holland Taylor. Yeah. That was all that last week. That was just Yeah, one and week. actually I was um, hoping to also get GOP presidential candidate Joe Walsh. Oh, what's happening who, there? Well, nothing. You know what happened was very quickly I invited him on the show. He sent me a DM on Twitter and said, Yes, let's get sent send me an email to this address and let's get something scheduled. So I do. I don't hear from him. A few days go by, I send him another email and Takes him about a day and a half to reply, and he says, I promise we'll get something scheduled soon. Yeah. That was not last Sunday, but the Sunday before. So I've taken to now emailing him every day and offering him dates, and, you know, we'll see what he does. I have a plan. I I have a feeling he's just blowing me off now. <laughs> and I can, you know, I can either call him out publicly on, yeah. on Twitter and say, why aren't you doing this? Which I'm not going to do right now, so please, hopefully nobody will do that. Um, I But, you know, I'm not sure where I'm going to go. But if he if he chooses to ignore me, mm-hmm. I plan on making him regret it. <laughs> See, now you know what it's like to be his ex-wife. He's <laughs> yeah, or his kids. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. We're laughing to keep from screaming. Yes. Um, by the way, I've decided for the rest of the show, I'm just going to call you Corn Pop. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Jesus. No, we'll I'm going to call you Pony Boy. <laughs> Stay golden. Okay, so Corey Lewandowski is testifying in the House Judiciary Committee right now. And by testifying, I mean not testifying. <laughs> He's not saying anything. In fact, I have a, a clip here of Corey Lewandowski inside the House Judiciary Committee. Here we go. See, there you go. That was <laughs> oh, wow. Corey Lewandowski. Well, you know what? I haven't been watching, so I haven't missed anything. He's uh, jumping between not answering mm-hmm. and then saying that the White House has instructed him not to answer. Every question that was asked by Jerry Nadler, where I don't, I can't, uh, I can't seem to find. It's the same bullshit that we've been seeing from one administration official after another. And I know Corey Lewandowski has never been an administration official, but he was certainly involved in the uh, Trump campaign in 2016. And uh, he's just refusing to answer. He's re- and, and not doing it in a way in which he's either claiming the Fifth Amendment or some kind of executive privilege. You just say, well, they asked me. And I said, well, okay. Hmm. And then he's doing that just awful filibustering yeah. where it's just, I can't find that page. Where did I say that? And then finally he finds it. They have to actually stop the clock 
for him to find in the Mueller report because also he had to borrow someone else's copy of the Mueller report because oh he didn't God. bring the Mueller report along with him, even though he says in his uh, opening remarks that he's required to stay within the quote unquote four corners of the Mueller report. But he didn't bring the Mueller report with him to reference it all. Of course not. He's just being a great big dick. Great yeah. big dick. Exactly. Yep. Um, and then, of course, the ranking member on the Republican side is uh, is one of our favorite members of the House of Representatives, quickly eclipsing Louis Gohmert on this front. <laughs> because I, I swear to God, every time Doug Collins starts talking, I, I swear I'm looking at someone like a like a villain from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? <laughs> it's like this guy's from a Dust Bowl era road movie or something, you know? But here's here's an actual clip of Doug Collins in his opening remarks. The old rules are the new rules, the new rules are the old rules. These were new these rules over here all along. <laughs> what the hell was that? <laughs> that was actually a sitting member of Congress. In fact, he is the ranking member. He's the ranking yeah. member, and this is how great he the is. The old rules are the new rules, the new rules are the old rules. These were new these rules over here all along. Oh, oh, wait, wait, did, all along. did he say that today? Yes. <laughs> he said that just before we started. Oh, my God. The old rules are the new rules. The new, new rules are the old rules. rules. These were new these rules over here all along. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Is you is or is you ain't my constituency. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Yeehaw. Yeah, he's uh, campaigning on the back of a flatbed truck with a dwarf carrying a broom. <laughs> that's, that's the great Doug Collins. Okay. And so, but was, you know, oh, what that was that? Oh, brother, where art thou? Yeah, that yeah. was oh, brother, where art thou? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you know, I didn't expect uh, Corey Lewandowski to say much of anything anyway. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we were all looking at this. You, you can, you do, you, you want, you, yeah. you can do something. The thing is, is that that's deliberate. He's not right. Tongue-tied. He's just. It's a big f you. Yeah. It's an f you, Jerry Nadler. It's an f you to the Democrats. These are profoundly angry, vindictive, paranoid men. Yes. I absolutely. mean, if you again, there's that old trope about the lump of coal mm -hmm. turning into a <laughs> diamond. I swear to God, Corey Lewandowski is uh, crapping diamonds. Wow. He is such a tight ass. Mm -hmm. He is just I mean, all of these guys just look like springs that are wound too tightly and they're just ready to explode at any minute. Oh, man. So uh, Trump ordered two former White House aides not to testify. We didn't I don't think we're getting Rob Porter and Rick Dearborn today. Uh, Rob Porter, of course, is the yeah. guy who uh, resigned under accusations of uh, what was it? Spousal abuse. Was that it? Yes. That was part of your agenda of manicide. I, so. I assume. Yeah. Yeah. And then Rick Dearborn isn't going to show up either. They were both subpoenaed to appear in front of the committee today, but the White House asserted immunity for both of them. Lewandowski, of course, because he never worked for the White House. Right. He's just being a dick. <laughs> That's uh, The White House asked me to be a dick, so I've come down oh, yeah. here just to be a dick. And, you know, he was ordered not to answer any questions about topics where Trump could invoke executive privilege and not give any information beyond what is already in the Mueller report. It's just so all it's exhausting. Yeah. Well, so all of this is happening right now as we speak. Yeah. Uh, Corey Lewandowski stalling. Uh, Doug, Doug Collins saying the old rules are the new rules, the yeah. new rules are the old rules. These were new these rules over here all along. Yeah, you know, like he just said. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, Rude Pundit was just saying that uh, they they need to just toss Lewandowski in jail now. Yes, and and I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I mean, enough fucking around. Yeah, tiptoeing around these people. And then Trump will pardon him. Um. Okay. So, the next nightmare is this: <laughs> Are we going to war in the Middle East to defend the Saudis? You know, our partners in peace. Um. <laughs> Who are who are paying in cash, which is, I guess, one of the reasons why Donald Trump is bowing down to them. I mean, specifically paying cash to Jared Kushner. And and here's a kind of what I've been observing. Um, it seems like there's a pattern developing. And the latest uh, iteration of the pattern being this attack on this uh, uh, oil pipeline in Saudi Arabia. So how long ago was the, the Taliban thing? That was like when, last week, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was like last week ago. Somewhere yeah. way back, like a week ago, which seems like a thousand years ago. So Donald Trump floats this idea of inviting the Taliban to uh, to Camp David to, to negotiate. And he wanted to, to pal around with terrorists. Exactly. And, uh, and that blows up in his face. And then he claims that there was some sort of attack... And that now the Taliban is going to be, we're going to hit them the hardest they've ever been oh hit. And, and so he goes on, he talks about how they, you know, the American military apparently attacked the Taliban in retaliation for this thing that happened right around the time he floated inviting them to Camp <laughs> David. Um, so that was one iteration of this pattern that I'm seeing. And he floats this meeting with Iran without preconditions. But then he backpedals under pressure. And then this pipeline attack. And now Trump is threatening to attack Iran because of the Saudi attack, apparently. I mean, this is kind of the the brinksmanship that we're dealing with on behalf of this erratic, uh, ridiculous president. So I don't know. Is that a pattern? It's like it starts yeah, out with it Trump. Seems like it is Trump doing something irrational about either inviting the Taliban to Camp David or meeting with Iran without preconditions, and then having to backpedal and then having to overcompensate, um, following a mysterious attack that takes place right around <laughs> the same time. He's presenting these uh, ludicrous overtures. Yeah. So I mean, is that a pattern? Is that if it, it walks like me, a pattern and talks like a pattern? Yeah, exactly. What is Doug calling? <laughs> the old rules are the new rules. The new rules are the old rules. These were new these rules. Oh, he sounds like one of those guys at a auction. <laughs> right. So I don't know. This is just what I'm seeing, and it could be completely innocent. But yeah, I'm sure it's innocent. Sure. Yeah, because everything Donald Trump does right. is uh, totally on the level. But, uh, I mean, there is the possibility, and again, I'm just floating this. I'm not married to this idea. This is not something I am convinced about. I'm just suggesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, what if we attack the Saudi Arabian oil field or whatever mm -hmm. it was? I mean, who's who's to know? I mean, he's he, yeah, he's got his own people snowed with the border wall. Mm -hmm. He can say whatever he wants about that wall. Yeah. It's not like anyone's going to go, well, I've been to the wall and it's not there. Or I've been to the <laughs> right, wall and exactly. it, is, it is, in fact, big and beautiful. Yeah, if he, if he announced that the wall was complete and finished and working, that's what his base would say. That's right. They could go down and see there's no wall mm -hmm. and they'd still insist that the wall was working. Right, right. Well, and that's it's the same goes with uh, this apparent attack mm -hmm. by the Taliban that occurred right around, coincidentally, right around the same time that he was willing to invite them to Camp David. Oh, and then just as he's willing to uh, meet with Iran without preconditions, oh, suddenly there's this attack in, in this Saudi oil field, uh, possibly leading us to World War III. I know you love those discussions. <laughs>
but again, he cites as a reason for defending the Saudis that they pay cash and they're buying all of our military equipment and, and they're handing us big stacks of cash hmm. or as Donald Trump says, cash. <laughs> um, Okay, so there's this IRS whistleblower, first of all. This is the first uh, bit of news that we got as far as people just rebelling inside the executive branch. Um, Mm -hmm. They're claiming that Donald Trump is somehow interfering with the audit process, the mandatory audit process for Trump and Pence's tax returns. Mm -hmm. That's what I mean, it's law. But of course they are. Yeah, right. Well, it's a law that uh, the IRS has to audit the president's and the vice president's mm-hmm. taxes while they're in office. That's just how it goes. And Trump is naturally interfering with that. And now we have a, a guy going to Richie Neal and the Ways and Means Committee saying, well, this is what Trump is doing. And just, again, this would be a massive story oh yeah of this, course i mean this would be blowing i mean rachel maddow was talking about last night uh if any one of these stories had happened under barack obama fox news channel yeah. would be in four alarm fire mode yeah. i mean they would be screaming leaning on every panic button sirens alerts graphic packages and all kinds of shit directed at barack obama and all of his terrible terrible criminality of course, they never had really had that chance, so they had to make up stuff. But if this had happened, I can't even imagine the reaction from Fox News Channel. I mean, AM Talk Radio, of course, would just be indiscriminate yeah. oh, screaming. Would, yes, of course. <laughs> right? And I mean, we could say this about every single thing Trump does. Exactly. Well, then this next thing is potentially even worse. I want to read some of the uh, this uh, press release issued by uh, Adam Schiff. Because this is a big fucking deal. I mean, just a monumental deal. And as we're all talking about Sean Spicer on Dancing with the Stars, this is happening right under our noses. And by the way, we are going to talk about <laughs> Sean Spicer and Dancing with the Stars. I thought we'd get to this <laughs> first. So a month ago, a whistleblower within the intelligence community lawfully filed a complaint regarding a serious or flagrant problem, abuse, violation of law, or deficiency within the responsibility or authority of the director of national intelligence. And by the way, isn't it interesting that within maybe a month or so of this story actually breaking, we've had a turnover in the director of national intelligence. Dan Coates has left, and now we've got one of Donald Trump's many acting Mm -hmm. DNIs, or one of his many acting officials, which who he can control because they're Mm handpicked. And he's circumventing the order of succession, too. So obviously, you can't help to, again, go to possible cover up here Mm -hmm. that Donald Trump knew that this was going on and therefore replaced the DNI so that Dan Coats wouldn't hand over these documents. Anyway, so uh, the inspector general of the intelligence community found that complaint not only credible, but urgent more than 10 days since the director was obligated to transmit the complaint to the intelligence committees. The committee has still not received the disclosure from the director in violation of the law. A director of national intelligence said has never prevented a properly submitted whistleblower complaint that the ICIG that's the intelligence community inspector general determined to be credible and urgent from being provided to the congressional intelligence committees. Never. This raises serious concerns about whether the White House, Department of Justice, or other executive branch officials are trying to prevent a legitimate whistleblower complaint from reaching its intended recipient, the Congress, in order to cover up serious misconduct. 
After Watergate exposed significant intelligence abuses, a critical bargain was struck in exchange for the intelligence community's willingness to reveal closely guarded national security secrets. The Congressional Intelligence Committees and leadership promised to handle that information responsibly. It was also of vital importance that the intelligence officials have a lawful and protected means of bringing misconduct to the intention of Congress and the public. By withholding a credible whistleblower complaint that potentially deals with executive branch wrongdoing, the DNI is in violation of the applicable statute and has made itself a party to the concealment of potentially serious misconduct. Again, that is basically, you better watch your step acting DNI because this is obstruction of justice. That is exactly what Adam Schiff, I think, is saying here. And I think this also speaks to the counterintelligence investigation that's going on. There is something happening with Donald. Obviously, this is uh, all linked up. And again, we can only speculate at this point, but I think it's fairly obvious that this is all linked up with the fact that Donald Trump is obviously compromised by Mm -hmm. Russia and is acting on their behalf rather than, you know, the interests of the United States and our national security. So that's why there's some sort of bizarre cover up happening inside uh, the DNI's office. Um, and you know, I hope at some point we find out soon what both of these things are, but I imagine there's going to be a long investigatory process to determine whether or not, uh, you know, w- what these whistleblowers are saying is true, mm-hmm. but it looks like, uh, based on the inspector general of the intelligence community, that what they're saying is true. Because the inspector general found the accusations by this whistleblower, the IC whistleblower, to be quite credible. Mm -hmm. Well, it kind of reminds me of the Brett Kavanaugh situation. Yeah. You know, back in last year, there were allegations that came up and we had this whole week for the FBI to do a thorough investigation Mm -hmm. on these allegations. And, you know, what do you know? We find out now that that investigation was bullshit. And so when I think about this thing, what you're talking about, I feel like I have no faith. Maybe in a year from now or two years from now, we might find out, oh, this was actually happening, but it's like too late. It's too late because Brett Kavanaugh is sitting on the Supreme Court. And, you know, I mean, he, I think he needs to be impeached, but he's not going to be impeached, at least not right now. And frankly, I don't necessarily want him to be impeached with Donald Trump as president because he's just going to be replaced by another you know, right wing extremist type. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I, I don't know what to think outside of from everything that you're talking about and what's in the news as far as this guy, uh, this this whistleblower and then the DNA. I don't think we're going to find anything out. And then what's going to be done about it? We have Republicans who aren't doing anything about it. Yeah. Well, it's all being uh, lumped into you talk about <laughs> obstruction of justice. OK, fine. Yeah. Then what? Well, we'll ask Doug, Doug Collins. What do you the think? The old rules are the new rules, the new rules are the old rules. These, were new, these rules over here. Oh, oh. Yeah, but it's like I have no faith that anything's going to be done about any of this. Sure, the, Repo- the, the president is obstructing justice. Okay, well, mm. we've heard that for two or three years now. Yeah. However long he's fucking been in mm-hmm. office. To me, if there's any one thing, I mean, if we had to choose uh-huh. among the entire fire hose of bullshit. Uh-huh. If we had to choose one thing that was probably the most dire in terms of American national security. Well, yeah. It is the fact that the president is compromised by Russia and and absolutely is compromised by Russia. And this is something that was not covered in the Mueller report, obviously. Mm -hmm. This is that separate counterintelligence investigation that has been shrouded in mystery. Uh, We know very little about the extent of that, but now this 
this increases the stakes, right? This mm-hmm. is something going on where the president is is continuing to cover up, to continue continuing to obstruct, but not necessarily uh, obstructing the Mueller investigation. Now he's just covering his tracks. He's just running around saying, okay, you know what? We, we can't have this bit of information getting out ever, so don't say a goddamn thing. And so the acting DNI is keeping all of this whistleblower information to himself. Mm-hmm. So, again, this is there's so many things that are connected to this. But one of the main things is that this is a surefire sign uh, just another of a thousand examples of Donald Trump just subverting the Constitution, subverting institutions and just making them all extensions of him rather than doing the work of the American people. Mm-hmm. And in this case, he's got an acting DNI in there. I don't think he ever intends to seriously replace no. the no. director of national. Or everybody's acting now. Yeah, at the very least, he's dragging his feet on this crap because, well, if he gets a little bit of window of time in which he can get someone who's loyal in there right. to do all of his bidding, then that's enough time. Mm-hmm. He, I, 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 in fact, I want to say that he has appointed a replacement for Dan Coates, although I'm not, I'm not 100% sure on that. Mm-hmm. But the acting guy is Joseph McGuire right now. And uh, Joseph McGuire clearly doing all of mm-hmm. <laughs> Trump's bidding. Um, did you see Trump, any uh, clips of Trump's rally last night? A little bit. And when he was talking about all the Hispanics. Yeah. Well, he, first of all, he didn't say this. Mom, I want a vape. He wasn't talking oh. about that. <laughs> but he asked, uh, he asked someone, and I'm not sure exactly who it was, but someone in the crowd, whether they like the country or whether they mm-hmm. like Hispanics more, mm-hmm. who do you like more, the country or Hispanics? Well, Hispanics are part of the country. I know. Here's Trump. Nobody loves the Hispanics. Oh, nobody. No. He's, nobody he's, loves the Hispanics more than Trump. He suddenly sounded like Yukon Cornelius <laughs> there. <laughs> Land ho! <laughs> Oh, nothing. Yeah. Nobody loves the Hispanics no. more. Who do you like more, the country or the Hispanics? He says the country. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. How could that possibly be true? <laughs> what do people who are Mexican or who are Spanish or uh, what do they think about this? Well, it's what a, do the Hispanics think? <laughs> it's just screwy. It what are the Latina Latinx? Is that, let me just ask you something. I, the, is Latinx new? Isn't it a catch-all term that it is? Latinas, and I, it's like I don't, Latinos. I don't want to be like wrong about it and politically incorrect about it, but it feels funny to me because I've never said it before, so I feel like I'm saying it wrong. Yeah, let me see if I can look it up here. Well, thanks. Let's and I, and a, I, I, I think yeah, it's it's a gender-neutral neologism, it's right? But it's like it's something that I feel like. Um, I want to use it right, or I feel like I'm. I don't want to mess it up. Yeah, you say, I think you'd say Latinx. Uh, Latin, I mean, that's that's Latinx. how I read it. It's Latinx. It's Latinx. Yes. Okay. I've heard it Latinx. Instead of saying Latinos and Latinas, I'm hearing Latinx more. So I'm just wondering if that's if somehow Hispanics is. Um, well, I was in the impression that Latino Latina suggests Central American. Oh, I see. And Hispanic suggests non-Central American. Uh, people hmm. of of Spanish okay. origin. Gotcha. So, like, people from Cuba well, are about, often referenced as Hispanic, um, generally. What about people from Mexico? People from Mexico would be Latinx. Okay. Or Latinos, Latinas. 
So that's I think that's the rule. I'm okay. pre- I'm pretty sure on that. I I could be horribly wrong. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure we'll be corrected. Yes, in the comments someone at, someone can let point. us know. So okay, let's talk about one of my favorite things in the world. One of the best new products to come out in recent memory, and you've tried it too. Uh, I'm talking about Plexiderm. In fact, I keep telling the story that when we first got our Plexiderm here, we both had to take the test. We both had to try it and say, oh, yeah, yeah, prove it. Prove yeah. you can reduce all of these wrinkles and eye bags in just a matter of minutes. Prove, prove. And, and of course, we both got some and we tested it out and it, and it worked. It's, yes. it's kind of amazing. And one of the more amazing things about it is that it happens in just a matter of minutes. Because mm-hmm. usually you put on some of these face creams and lotions and things like that and you have to enter into like a regimen for a matter of months, if not longer, until you maybe will see results kind of possibly, although it's not guaranteed. Well, everything that's uh, suggested with Plexiderm, everything that claims to be is 100% true. And again, I'm not talking about days or weeks to work. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates under eye bags and wrinkles in just a few minutes. It's like magic. I mean, did you hear that? In just minutes. The science behind Plexiderm is incredible with clinical studies to back it up. If you look older and tired because of crow's feet, wrinkles, or under eye bags, you can look younger in just minutes with Plexiderm. See for yourself. Watch a real video with real people and see how fast crow's feet, wrinkles, and under eye bags vanish. Those results are backed up by Plexiderm's 30-day satisfaction guarantee. Go to triplexiderm.com and use the coupon code SEXYLIBERAL. Write this down and bookmark that URL, triplexiderm.com, coupon code SEXYLIBERAL for my discount. That's triplexiderm.com. Use the code SEXYLIBERAL or call 1-800-685-1292 and mention SEXYLIBERAL. Thank you. The Bob Seska Show. This is Mike Farley, Ben. Pay your dues from where we stand. Link in the description. I got to mention this again. I mentioned this on the after party on Friday on our Patreon page that uh, Mike Farley is also a music manager in addition to being a, a rockin' badass. <laughs> Mike Farley has been sending me a lot of the bands that you hear on this show now. He's been sending me a lot of his uh, clients. And, uh, God, the list is uh, immense. Jeremy Dion, uh, uh, Bob Bradshaw, just a lot of well-known strangers, just huge number of amazing independent recording artists, and we get them all right here. So thank you also to everyone who's been submitting to bobseska.com slash music. Please keep doing so. We need more music. More music. So, uh, so there's that. All right. So moving along here on the show today, uh, Kimberly Johnson's here, by the way. Patreon.com slash start me up. <laughs> and also slash Kimberly A. Johnson. There you go. That's your writing page, yes. right? So you've got a, a page for your podcasting and then you got a page for your writing. Do you ever yes. put some of your podcasts on your writing page and writing Occasion- page on your podcast? Occasionally, but it seems uh, like I think the people who like to just read just want to read. Yeah. I don't usually put my articles on my, on, my pa- on my podcast page, so I've never tried that. 
Well, okay. So moving along here, um, a federal appeals court revived a previously dismissed lawsuit that accused Trump of violating the Constitution's emoluments clauses. Fantastic news again. I think uh, we had this late last week on the after party, but it bears repeating. Uh, the lawsuit claims that Trump's vast, complicated, and secret business arrangements uh, violate the Emoluments Clause, which bars presidents from ac- accepting gifts from foreign governments without the permission of Congress. Mm-hmm. You know, this uh, this brings us to the, uh, the Turnberry story, mm-hmm. just real oh, yeah. quick. I wanted to mention that uh, just briefly, because there have been some stories that have come out showing that occasionally the Air Force did use Turnberry under Barack Obama. But here's the massive. I mean, that's going to be the thing that the Republicans yes, and that's Trumpers the only use. Thing they're going to say. Yeah. Well, of course, that doesn't make any goddamn difference. And the reason being is because there was no requirement for the Air Force personnel to then deplane right and and drive thirty miles to Trump Turnberry from that goddamn airport. And that's what they're doing. They're staying overnight. They're being, apparently, there was a story today that they're being showered with gifts hmm. as they go there. Here's a mega hat. <laughs> right. Oh, here's some Trump vodka and a Trump right. steak from Sharper Image. <laughs> Hurry up and eat it before it spoils. Yummy, yummy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they're going there. Their, their per diem doesn't cover a lot of the additional expenses, so they just, they can't eat other than what they're given. I guess if they're given a Trump steak, they can... Uh, microwave it i don't know <laughs> yeah, right. what they have by way of uh in-room amenities at the trump turnberry resort but i can't imagine they're all that great I'm sure it's very very i can't talk like him oh, Posh. Should, yeah i mean if I anything trump thing if anything they can snack on the bed bugs <laughs> yeah there's that those are delicious nice and crunchy yeah but i you know again this is all stuff that's just so obvious and and sometimes it feels to me as if we're just continuously restating the obvious. But here's the thing. I feel like the Democrats um, running for president right now in particular, obviously this doesn't extend necessarily to people like Adam Schiff or Jerry Nadler, the Democrats on the Hill. I'm talking about the Democrats running for president. I feel like they need to be attacking Trump more forcefully. Mm -hmm. I think they need to spend more time at this point. And I don't know where you land on this, but I feel like, okay, we've got all of their technocratic plans for, you know, their legislative agenda. We've got all of that lined up. We kind of know where all of these candidates stand on the various issues and what they intend to do about those issues. Uh, So now I feel like they need to really amplify uh, what we've been observing, what we've been talking about all day now, um, you know, the fire hose of news, everything that uh, is, is surrounding Trump, circulating around Trump needs to be clarified in a way by these candidates. They need to be uh, discussed and, and Trump needs to be attacked in a way that is both um, descriptive, uh, but brief and catchy. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I can think of is that they just start branding all of the things with Trump's name. (laughs) Trump bigotry, Trump prison camps, Trump criminality, Mm -hmm. Trump emoluments violation, just every last thing. Trump treason. Just do the whole list. Uh, You know, you can start with broad stroke things and narrow them down a little bit more. Trump uh, misogyny, Trump uh, racism. It's it's all just waiting. It's all there for the picking. And I'm... I think maybe the only thing that's holding everyone back is this kind of contrarian notion that, oh, we don't want to be seen as just being anti-Trump. We want to right. make sure the American people know we have ideas. But I, you know what? At this point, I feel like 
we all know, <laughs> we all know what their ideas are. Quite frankly, this is the time right now to be appealing to Democrats. And what better way to appeal to Democratic voters in a Democratic primary than to just be nailing Donald Trump? And Yeah, well, I mean, this kind of allows me to plug my interview last week with Tim Weiss, because yeah. uh, Tim basically, and, and I'm going to... Sp- speak specifically about his racism and his white supremacy because uh, Tim Wise is an anti-racism expert. But basically, you know, he was involved in two campaigns that defeated David Duke. And pardon me, I did talk about this on the after party, so I'm going to repeat just a little. Okay. But anyway, when he ran, I don't remember the day. I think it was 90 and 91. So I think when Duke ran... Uh, Duke. Duke ran for Senate in Louisiana in 90... Um, Wise was on the campaign against him, you know, or, or, or working on the campaign against Duke. Yeah. Right. So um, Democrats were afraid to just paint him as a racist. They did talk about his racism, but they they were afraid to make that the, the gist of yeah. their campaign. And the so, Democratic pea shyness right. is just so, driving me nuts. So what they did was kind of a combination of, of talking about his racism, but then also talking about his policy. And mm-hmm. Wise basically said that was a mistake because A, it was confusing, and B, it kind of made his, uh, normalized him by talking about his policy. The following year, when David Duke ran for governor, um, Wise and the guy that he was working with had the opportunity to really go and attack him on the danger of him. like what will this mean for people in the community yeah. how is this going how is his racism going to affect our lives and they really focused on that and and okay they both times duke was uh, defeated but the difference was the second time he was defeated it was by much higher margins and it was also by you know like there were more white people who showed up to vote against him uh, when they were aware of the danger of white supremacy mm-hmm. there you go um, so it was a higher margin of white people that voted against him the second time around and a higher margin of voters period yeah. and so I agree with you that, you know, there are many things that we can focus on, um, not just his white supremacy and racism. But I think that if we just took a hold of that and, you know, and, and the thing is, is I, I think it is like right now we're, we're in the primary. So I do believe that the Democrats and I think they're timid and I think that they need to get, you know, stronger. But um, I think what they're. I think what they might be thinking is that, all right, in order to win the primary, we have to sell the voters of our policies. And then once we hit the general, I don't know, I'm hoping maybe that they're thinking that, okay, now we're going to go after Trump. I mean, I've seen all of them do it. It's just that they need to do it more. I think it's mainly because they're still overly concerned and dancing on eggshells around the white male diner crowd in yeah, suburban I'm just, Ohio. I'm fucking sick of it. it I'm yeah. over it. Yeah. It's like, you know, we're so, why are we so timid as a, as a group, as a party? I mean, I get, you know, there's the idea of being centrist, right? Then, and, and to me, and I, I can't speak to other people, I can't speak for Joe Biden, yeah. but what to me a centrist means is that I, I feel that I'm very, very, very progressive. Last night, Chris Matthews mm-hmm. was talking about, um, you know, Democrats who identify as liberal. And it's a small, it's kind of, it's more, it, I think it used to be half, or it's half now and it was, you know, a quarter several years ago, whatever yeah. it is. But okay, so there are more that I, I identify as liberal. But I, I think the idea is like, I'm very, very progressive. I was, I voted or, I, yeah, I was voted for Bernie in the primary in 2016, Um and Elizabeth Warren is my number one choice right now because I'm a very progressive person. But I also realize that, you, you know, I wouldn't call myself far left 
because I think the far left has become kind of insane. <laughs> but um, yeah. but uh, you know I'm I'm very far left when it comes to policy. I would be happy to have medic Medicare for all, although I pr- would prefer it to come in a public option first so we can slow roll it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean all the stuff, climate, all of it. I'm very very progressive, but I do get that we have to work with people who don't see the same, you know, see the things the same way we do. Yes, yeah, big so we big, t- tent, we, big tent big right, democratic so politics. We take our goal of Medicare for all yeah. and we compromise by saying we start with a public option. So here I am very progressive, yet I will act as a centrist or, or be understanding that we can't we can't rush to get everything we want all of a sudden. But there's also a way, I think, and, and not getting too deep in the weeds of, of healthcare policy right here, but I think there's also a way to package the public option as Medicare for all. Right, yeah. And it is, actually. That's, of course, why the public option was originally proposed back in 2009 as a means toward getting to mm-hmm. uh, some sort of Medicare for all single payer plan. Yeah. And obviously, the Affordable Care Act was also structured to build upon that, to be you know expanded. And I think that's what uh, Joe Biden and particularly uh, Pete Buttigieg both want to do. Mm-hmm. And it's funny that we're both, uh, you and I are both kind of leaning toward Elizabeth Warren. You're leaning more toward Elizabeth Warren than I am. I'm all in for Warren. I mean, of course she's not going to be perfect and I have criticisms. And right, and we disagree with her healthcare plan. Well, let me put it to you this way. Or part of it, at least. I just disagree... I, I have an issue with and disagree. I disagree with selling it as let's get rid of all insurance and just mm-hmm. move to that. Yeah. And and it's never going to happen anyway because Congress would have to vote on it. So what I see is her saying, here's my view of what I want. Mm-hmm. I want Medicare for all. Yep. And here's what I need to compromise on when I'm elected is the public option. She's not saying that. I wish she would say that because that clarity might calm down people who think she's going to walk in there with some magic wand and erase insurance companies. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. And then the other thing that I just wish that she would do is explain Medicare for all to people like Chris Matthews when they pound her about taxes. And I did an open thread to her, didn't get that much attention, but I hope she read it because all I asked her to do was just explain it in the same way she described how we would pay for universal child care which it's 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 two cents it was, okay for someone who makes 50 million dollars every dollar after 50 million dollars we we tax them an extra two cents mm-hmm. and that's it yes of course it's going to make a difference when you're talking about big money but you've got 50 million dollars a fucking year yeah are you that sure you can that, take. A, that 50 millionaires will be able to or a, right. millionaires <laughs> who are earning at least 50 million dollars are going to worry about a two percent tax increase right i don't, I don't fucking so, think so so the, so i wish that she would be very because she it seems that she's shying away from explaining the fact that yes your taxes will go up but they will not go up as much as what you're now paying mm-hmm. for premiums and also for, you know, co-pays for certain kinds of medications and things like that. So um, you will pay more in taxes, but you will not have a premium. And And I would like for her to explain how, because this it's, it happens in Europe, it happens in, in France, all, you know, there's all these countries who are experiencing you know, socialized medicine. And of course, the citizens are taxed more. Yeah. But they don't, but they're not, it's not like it's costing them. I think Americans pay more in premiums than they're paying in taxes. And that's the point. Yeah. And I wish that she would do numbers like she did numbers with the two cents over, because people understood that. 
and and they're okay with it. Well, here's some numbers. Here's some numbers that Elizabeth Warren can start citing. And and by the way, I want to make sure I'm totally clear on this. I wrote an article for Salon about all of this stuff, about how the Democrats need to seize the initiative, start attacking Trump directly, especially on his strengths or his one strength, which is the economy. And it's not even a real strength. <laughs> but regardless, I, I do believe that they all need to do this. Certainly Kamala Harris was mm-hmm. out front attacking Trump yeah. during the debate. Uh, she was really good. I thought Beto O'Rourke. Uh, really uh, stood out as taking a hardline approach when it comes to guns. And in fact, both of these approaches by both Harris and O'Rourke in that debate were both uh, not all that risky in the grand mm-hmm. scheme, given no. that, you know, 90 percent of American voters support expanded background checks. Sixty seven percent of American voters support banning assault weapons. This is a no brainer thing that shouldn't be a risky move. But for the fact that the Democratic Party is terrified of those white trucker cap wearing guys in the diners in suburban Green Bay or whatever. The, the Chris Matthews fever dream is what I'm talking about. The, yeah. Well, those guys in the diners. He's always talking about the guys in the diners. They're just, they're so worried about that. But yeah. what they can really start to do now, and, and I think this is pretty much mandatory, and I'd like to see a little bit of this, is attacking Donald Trump on his big quote unquote strength, which is the economy. Right. Well, and unfortunately, that's going to affect more people um, viscerally just because. You know, money, m- money rules all. Well, here's the thing. I mean, you've got a couple of numbers. You were talking about numbers a second ago. Got a couple of numbers here that are absolutely salient when it comes to attacking Donald Trump. You have to talk about the fact that the CEO president, the guy who is tasked with allegedly making a profit for America. I mean, anyone who was following Donald Trump's career knows he's incapable of making a profit for anybody, including himself. But... You know, that's how he was framed, right? That's how all of his supporters were. Oh, let's try a businessman, a CEO president who can get shit done in Washington because he's going to run the government like a business. Well, the first task of any CEO is profitability for his shareholders, right? That's the main goal of any CEO who's got a golden parachute and a lot of money. So they go, they step into that role as CEO and they're supposed to do whatever they can, step over bodies if they have to, to earn a massive profit. Well, Donald Trump has done the opposite of earning a profit. And in fact, his if his goal, if his agenda was to roll back the Obama legacy, well, he's done a fine job because he, he's actually rolled back all of Barack Obama's deficit reduction for eight years. I mean, the deficit uh, for fiscal year 2009, which was money that was spent and authorized by George W. Bush in 2008. That's how the, the fiscal calendar starts in October. And so October 2008, George Bush authorizes more spending. That creates a $1.4 trillion deficit mm-hmm. in 2009. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was dropped down to $584 billion by the end of Obama's two terms. So that's nearly $1 trillion in deficit reduction. In fact, at one point, the deficit was even lower, uh, making it, I would say, right around that $1 trillion deficit reduction mark. I think it was in the $400 billion, somewhere around there at one point. Um, But now, in Donald Trump's first 34 months, he has increased the deficit back to nearly $1.1 trillion. And in fact, the CBO had projected that the deficit wasn't going to get to $1.1 trillion until the end of next year. 
but it's we're already in it. It's already been racked up, and we're not even through 2019 yeah. yet. So the end of 2020 right, yeah. is going to be a fucking mess mm-hmm. in terms of the deficit. Once again, another Republican president who can't cut the goddamn deficit. And we've had two. The two most recent Democratic presidents have both reduced the deficit significantly. Bill Clinton uh, arriving right. at a surplus, for yes. God's sake. And in fact, a surplus that was so significant, we would have re- we would have eliminated the national debt by 2015. Oh my God. Had we kept that surplus rolling. I just want to cry now. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's so tantalizing yeah, the I what know. ifs, right? Right. Uh, instead, George W. Bush is just like spend, spend, yeah. yay, spending. And uh, meanwhile, Barack Obama signs into law the PAYGO Act, which requires that Congress uh, account for every dollar that's spent, but with either uh, spending cuts or tax hikes. And, of course, Mitch McConnell has ignored that rule. Meanwhile, um, according to Moody's, (laughs) according to Moody's analytics, uh, Trump's tariffs have uh, have lost 300,000 jobs in the United States so far, projected to be 450,000 by the end of this year, projected to be 900,000 by the end of 2020, thanks to Donald Trump's trade war of choice. So these are all areas. And of course, we've got a recession on the horizon, a destabilized uh, Dow, where based on whether Donald Trump tweets to China in a single day, China, the Dow could go up, it could go down. Who knows? Donald Trump basically controls the stock market now with his tweets. Uh How terrifying is that? So the Democrats need to start nailing him on this. Take go at him at his strongest point. Yeah. And I, I swear to God, they're going to start to see results because people are going to be shaking. Somebody call Tom Perez. <laughs> That's exactly right. But, you know, going back to health care, um, I'm glad we started talking about that because I want to clarify something from the debate uh, last week, the Democratic debate. You know, and again, everyone knows who listens to this show. Everyone knows where I stand on Joe Biden. I don't need to go through the reasons why I'm not necessarily a Joe Biden supporter. While I'll vote for him, obviously, in the general election, I'll do whatever I can to see that he wins if he becomes the nominee. But I'm I'm not a, a huge fan. But he was exactly right. Julian Castro uh, was exactly wrong when it came to the public option and the buy-in. And it's really frustrating to see when the fanboys come out. And I didn't know that uh, Julian Castro has fanboys. I mean, I I was kind of one of his fanboys. I I thought his behavior uh, toward Joe Biden, though, in that debate was way out of character. It was jarring and it was unnecessary. And I don't think he should have done it. I think he ruined a lot of his chances for the future. Right well, there. I don't know that he's ruined a lot of chances for the Well, he's future. diminished his I chances. I think that it was cringeworthy, but I think that the bigger point that is brought up by so many people um, who are African-American, and like Zerlino Maxwell and many different uh, black pundits, journalists, they're talking about Joe's answer um, on reparations, on... Um, on black people in general. Mm-hmm. And, and, and frankly, again, I said this on the after party, but I can only describe this as, you know, it kind of went over my head for two reasons. Uh, number one, while this debate was happening, I was, you know, on my computer and I was typing and I was like half listening to what Joe Biden was answering and typing something. And I heard him say, play records, say more words. And I remember thinking, what the fuck is he talking about? And, and I hadn't really listened to his answer. Um, and then, you know, 
what I see the following day are plenty of African-American pundits who are very upset because what he suggested was that black people don't know how to parent, that they get confused. And so it's one thing, it reminded me of Sarah Palin. When Sarah Palin would say something, um, you understood what she was saying. um, But then when you read it, it was like this rambling, crazy mush. Well, it was kind of the opposite with Biden. It was like sure? Sure? <laughs> a big darn deal. <laughs> it was like when when I mean, granted, I wasn't paying 100 percent to what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but but then when I read what he said, I could see how offensive it was. Yeah. And, you know, for anybody out there who wants to defend, say he's not a racist. Go tell a black person that. It's not that I think he's a racist, that he's this horrible man and hates black people. Of course not. I think he doesn't understand the subject in a way that he needs to understand it as president because he offended and upset many, many, many black people. And I understand why. So when I when I look in terms of what Julian Castro did, yes, I think that it was a low blow. It was a cheap shot. And unfortunately for me, because I was also one of his fans and I compared him to, you know, Obama and everything. And Obama had a, a few cheap shots. He took a cheap shot at Hillary Clinton by calling her Annie Oakley. Um, you There's know, a terrible reference, by the way. Like, who the fuck knows who Annie Oakley is right. anyway? But I know? mean, you know, the idea is that he, you know, he became president and he made her secretary of state. So I am not, you know, I was disappointed in what, what um, Julian said, but I think that he has an opportunity. You know, what, what I saw happened was cringeworthy, but then he stopped. Everybody came, came down on him for that. Nobody liked it. And yeah. it was evident immediately. And I think he got it and then he shut up. Well, and he probably resents doing it. But I think that is much smaller than, you know, and I, uh, I wish I could remember. I, 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 I tweeted this out yesterday and I'm going to try to find it because I can't remember his name. But he was basically it was a black guy. And he said, you know, and he's 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 a writer. And he said something like this, uh, something like this is the week where black people who have been paying attention are telling black people who haven't been paying attention why Biden is not the best choice. And, and I really do think that Biden is the one who fucked up on the debate much more than Castro. So there's my two cents. Well, okay. Well, that, that may be the case, but in the context of the, the back and forth between Biden and Castro, the fact is that Biden didn't say you had to buy into right. well, yeah, he the public screwed option. Up. He screwed up. Yeah. And then Castro, you, you just said that. You just said yeah. two minutes ago, you just said two minutes ago that they would have to buy in. And he didn't say they would have to buy in. Joe Biden said, if you, if you want Medicare. The public option is called the public option because it is optional. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, and There is he- no mandatory buy-in of the public option. Under Joe Biden's plan, you can buy the public option if you want it, right. which I would recommend, or you can buy insurance through a private insurer, or you can go without insurance if you want to, yeah. unless he reestablishes the mandate. And even then, you can go without insurance. You just have to pay a tax penalty. But I mean, the fact is that you don't have to buy in. And Joe Biden didn't say that you had to buy in well, by the very nature of it being a public option. Right. And the fact there is that no it, mandatory buy in. The fact that it was so cringeworthy was because Julian Castro was turning this into he is uh, losing his memory and mind right as we're you know, yes, we're watching his mind deteriorate again, in front of our yeah, eyes. Yeah. So I think that was a very low blow. And I, I think it hurt him, but honestly, I don't think it's diminishing his chances moving forward. I think that if he leaves this alone, never does it again, and goes on to do you know lots of great things, I think this is going to be something that 
it could be put behind him. And and just like with the Pocahontas thing, yeah, you know, with Elizabeth Warren um, trying, I mean, I think it's worse what he did because he was trying to paint Joe Biden as this decrepit old man who's mm-hmm. losing his memory. Um, but I do think that's a fear, a legitimate fear that a lot of voters have about him. Not that he's necessarily losing his memory, but is, is he fit, you know, it's it's not necessarily about age because there are other candidates who are you know closer to his age they're not behaving in the same way so it's like there's this worry it, it, is he going to be okay to handle this and i think julian was trying to point that out and he thought i think he thought he was going to get all kinds of applause and instead he was met with like, ugh, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, right now there was an article and I didn't read exactly. I think what he was trying to say, Joe Biden, he's, he, he was questioning Elizabeth Warren's electability. And I think it's because she, she's really struggling with black voters. And so, OK, there is a valid point. But um, but here we have the man in the lead questioning a women's a woman's electability very early on, yeah. which is really pissing me off. Well, there are a lot of question marks when it comes to Joe Biden. I think they're all quite obvious. I just think the Democrats need to stop worrying about the diner crowd and and start campaigning against Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's going to have a dual purpose of weakening Donald Trump. I mean, in the long run, and while also, you know, drumming up more enthusiasm on the Democratic side, I think people are rightfully concerned that Donald Trump is going to be Mm reelected and the Democrats need to stop, you know, confronting that crisis, the the possibility that Donald Trump is going to be reelected by ignoring Mm -hmm. Donald Trump, (laughs) by being weak when it comes to attacking this guy who's got more things to attack than all the rest of the presidents combined. Well, you know, you said going back to 2018, I think 2018 Democrats did a good job of, you know, showing their, uh, their dreams, their goals, whatever, and their policies and all of that, talking about main street issues Mm -hmm. as well as, attacking Trump. Maybe what maybe what's happening and I don't know. Um but I know that people who voted in 2018 you know based their vote on Trump whether it was for or against mostly against. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe Democrats are thinking all right, well the public's already aware of how much he's damaging everything and so we should just be focusing on, you know, our policies or whatever at least during the primary. But again, I hope that if they're not going to get their shit together and really go after him because and they they should also look at the reaction Kamala Harris got the other night when she did speak directly to him. Oh yeah, you and know, and she pounded his ass on television and everyone fucking exploded with like yes and just like when Beto was you know firm on the gun issue whether it was right after El Paso or on the debate stage he got a lot of love from everybody so Democrats should be listening and paying attention to that kind of reaction that they're getting well the Democrats are spending too much time listening to uh, Chris Matthews and and Joe Scarborough yes (laughs) he just spent a little more time listening to Rachel Maddow I think I think that's the key all right we're gonna take and and Kimberly A. Johnson (laughs) we're gonna take uh, one last break here I'm gonna check in to see if anything's happening with the Corey Lewandowski uh, testimony, non-testimony. But we'll be back uh, with uh, more show right after these words. Hey, dude, being at the racetrack is a blast. High five. Whoa, man, uh, you can put your arm down now. What, you're going to leave me hanging? Come on, bring it in for a hug. Uh, That's okay, man. We're cool. What's the matter? We're all buds, man. Uh, well, I, I hate to tell you, but I think you need to take a pit stop. What? 
I'm not driving a race car, man. No, pit stop. It's, uh, well, an all-natural deodorant that'll keep your pits from, uh, being the pits. Oh, no. My pits are the pits. Hey, don't worry, man. Luckily, my pals over at Bubble Genius have you covered. They've created all-natural stuff to help with summer stank. Everything from pit stop deodorant to cooling facial mist to talc-free body powders that leave you soft, not sweaty. Hey, cool! You said it. Bubble Genius keeps you cool all summer long. BubbleGenius.com Bob Seska This is Terry Morris. The song is called Best Now from her Undercover EP. Link in the description. I love this album. Just uh, five or six songs, I think, but they're all great. And this is my fave among all of them. Best Now. Okay, so uh, this just in. Corey Lewandowski, while testifying, probably had an assistant do this or something, but just tweeted... Again, this is Corey Lewandowski, who's in the House Judiciary Committee hearing room right now, testifying. He tweets, new website just launched to help a potential Senate run. Sign up now. Standwithcorey.com. Oh, go fuck yourself. Oh, seriously. Yeah, they all want to run. I mean, who was it? Uh, Rick Wilson. I think Rick Wilson said that um, Donald Jr. is going to run in 2024 and he'll win. We need to exile them from the public conversation. Yeah. this These people are villains. They have corrupted the United States government. They have corrupted our way of doing things yeah. here. They have corrupted the Constitution. They have bastardized our institutions. And now they expect us to give them more power. I mean, even Sean Spicer participating in... Dancing with the Stars is a fucking atrocity. Oh, my God, I know. I mean, in addition to the atrocity that was his wardrobe, apparently. <laughs> yes. In last night's show. I- I'm hoping that someone green screens that <laughs> shirt where they, you know, they superimpose mm-hmm. something onto the green of the shirt. Yeah. It's just about the right color for green screening. And um, I was thinking maybe, you know, just like kids in cages. Put that on there. Yeah. You know, because... Well- yeah. What we need in the United States more than anything else, apparently, are more dancing clowns for our bread and circuses. Well, the thing the thing that's so fucking frustrating about this is in 2017, everybody was so upset when Sean Spicer was lying to us every single day. Yep. When he was behaving like an, an indignant, arrogant little fucker, and he was standing up there and telling lies about crowd sizes and everything else, and we're all upset. And this was at the start of the resistance, right? It was like the day after um, I think it was the day after the Women's March was the first mm-hmm. press conference. And it was like, oh my God. There, I think that there was this hope that when Trump won, that he would pivot to presidential. Yeah. And this was our first indication. Sean Spicer was our first indication that that's not ever going <laughs> no, to happen. never. And so the resistance is formed and we're upset. And now, 
now we're all accepting him. And I don't mean all. I'm not. You're not. But but the United States ABC is accepting him as somebody that we can cheer on while he's dancing. And I'm so sickened by this because it's, I mean, where, where are we going you know, I mean, it's like, what next? Is it going to be fucking Cosby? There is an appetite in this country to watch the freak show. And we pay lots of money. Uh, studios, networks pay lots of money to put on the freak show. And Dancing with, with the Stars is a bit of a freak show. And uh, but not to, Sean but, you Spicer know what, is the main is, freak this time but around. It, but it's not a freak show to the people who like it. My mom used to watch that show all the time. My grandmother well, my mom, watched I, it. My mom loves that show. Right. And it's like the thing about. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's bread and circuses is all it is. Well, I mean, but what it is is. But I, you know, prior to, sh- to Sean Spicer going on that show. Um, you know, it was just something where it was fun and like, I know Tom Bergeron was against getting him on because he called him a a political lightning rod, which was a nice way to say he lies to, he was lying to everybody every day. But, um, you know, I mean, it was just a fun show with dancing and I like watching dancing. I, it was never a show that I watched all the time. I watched it with my mom occasionally, or, you know, maybe if I was just bored and there was nothing else on, I would watch it because I do enjoy watching dancing. So the show in and of itself was not a freak show, but it is now turned into one because they're you know it's like who who's going to come on next Kellyanne Conway we're going to start accepting these people who have been damaging the country as oh fun you know fun celebrity types on the dancing show I, I'm like I'm beyond angry it seems almost like nothing right because he's in the silly dumbass fucking green shirt but it is something it's something very big it's us normalizing uh like basically traitors. I know, and we've already had. Was it Rick Perry was on Dancing with the Stars one time? It's it's confounding to me where it's just like oh. So I guess the freak show started when he was on. Yeah, well, you know, again, it's harmless entertainment. You know, just generally speaking, right? But you put a villain on like yeah. like Sean Spicer, someone who stood in front of the American people, looked into cameras and lied to everybody on a daily yeah, with basis. with his angry face. Like, how dare you question me? But now this person has a chance at redemption by saying, hey, look, well, that was all bullshit because here I am dancing and having fun and wearing this garish shirt that needs to be green they screened be shunned. by someone. Everybody in the Trump administration should be shunned by all entertainment media. Uh, yeah. I can't say news media because they were part of the news. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think they should be ignored or shunned particularly depending on, I don't think they should be celebrated. Yeah. But I think all media, anything having to do with just strictly entertainment, all of those people should be shunned. Mm-hmm. Well, by the way, we have some a uh, little bit of breaking news here. Apparently, Corey Lewandowski. I'm I'm just seeing this come up coming up on Twitter. It says here uh, from the Center for American Progress, Lewandowski confirms the Mueller report's account on Trump's obstruction of justice, mm-hmm. and they have a video here. So let's watch this video. It's 37, 37 seconds long. We'll just check this out. It says, "I know that I recused myself from certain things having to do with specific areas." But our POTUS is being treated very unfairly. That's Congressman that's what he Hank told Johnson. You to write down, and that's what you wrote down. And I'll continue. He said he shouldn't have a special prosecutor counsel because he hasn't done anything wrong. Now, that's what he wanted you to deliver to Attorney General Jeff Sessions, correct? I believe that's an accurate representation. And he wanted you to deliver it to Jeff so that Jeff could say it to the people, right? I believe so. Oh, there you go. I guess that's uh, that's part of the uh, one of the many counts of obstruction from yeah. the Mueller report and Lewandowski confirming it right there. 
So I guess he is saying something other than just going. Oh, you, 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 you want, you want him. So that's a little better. I guess it's a little better. Let's check in with Doug Collins. What do you think, uh, Congressman Collins? The old rules are the new rules, the new rules are the old rules. These were new rules. These rules were here all along. I don't know. I don't know. It's the marbles, all the marbles in yeah. his mouth. Um, so, yeah, so Sean Spicer and Dancing with the Stars is goddamn travesty. And I'm just <laughs> hoping, and this goes back to uh, Lewandowski, too, running for Senate and Don Jr. Mm-hmm. running for president. Oh, my God. I swear to God, if he were to ever be president, I think that's when I would leave the country. No fucking way. Yeah. Don, Donald Trump is bad enough. His. His derpy fucking son, no way. <laughs> D- Donald Trump Jr. shouldn't even be president of the He-Man Woman Haters Club. <laughs> I mean, he, he can't even be like a little rascal's president. I hate like, him so much. the president of a make-believe club yeah. on an episode of Little Rascals. He right. shouldn't even do that. Right. Because what, what's happening is these people are, they're villains and they're being normalized. That's exactly it. And that's what, I, and the thing is, is that we're allowing it. And, you know, I mean, it's one thing, it's sickening that the media is going to you know eat them up especially entertainment media but what's yeah. worse is that we're all just going along with it mm-hmm. well yeah that's just i mean we only have a certain capacity for outrage right. there's only a certain amount of bandwidth i think generally speaking even among democratic activists I ours mean, is even- much higher than than um other countries that are out there marching yeah, but I mean, there are, as we've seen, one time after another, one show after another, one news article after another, one Rachel Maddow episode after another, yeah. there are all kinds of things that are just getting lost in the mix, mm-hmm. and we just can't focus on all of them. And my ongoing concern, and this is something that most most of you who've listened to this show for any length of time know this, my ongoing concern is that uh, it's just going to be weaponized by future politicians, whether it's Democrats or Republicans or whatever just say well you know what if we just flood the zone with all of the the bullshit if we just do if we do a lot of scandals Mm -hmm. we can get away with most of them yeah and then that can be gamed in a way that the ones that people focus on are bullshit scandals and the ones that aren't focused on are the real deal like i mean a lot of the 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 trump things you know where it's yes his his twitter feed is outrageous and he says horrible things and these are things that we should never normalize we should never downplay but at the same time, there are things that he's doing that are are horrible too. Mm-hmm. And I'm just in this place myself, admittedly, that I, you know it's hard for me to separate the things that he says from the things that he does. Both right. to me, on some level, are crucial to follow along and yeah. to document and to you know hold him accountable for. Because what the president says is still important. That's important shit that gets uh, entered into the record. That's certainly in the case of space force and. Mm-hmm. All of the other horrible, horrible yeah, uh, ideas. Like breaking up hurricanes with nuclear bombs. <laughs> yeah. That's all stuff that can turn into mm-hmm. actual policy. So watching his Twitter feed to me is not a waste of time. No. It's you know, it's getting a preview in terms of what horrible news item is going to land on the front page of the Washington Post and New York Times yeah. within the next week or so, where that horrible thing that he tweeted about suddenly becomes horrible reality right. that we then have to deal with legislatively. Well, you know, I mean, he otherwise. puts out threats or or he puts out veiled threats to members of Congress, people of color, you know, Alon Omar, uh, AOC, and he says he says these things about her and then there's you know mass shootings mm-hmm. and it's just sickening it's sickening every day and it is hard to keep 
keep up. Although I just kind of want to um, take something out of left field and go back a little bit to the Democratic uh, campaigning. Yeah. I would certainly hope that the next debate, they put a, a good amount of focus on things like the defunding of Planned Parenthood and Title X, because these are, and reproductive rights and things like that. And they are not women's issues. They're A, economic issues, mm -hmm. and they're human rights issues. Yep. Um, just because they, they're happening with women doesn't mean it solely affects women. This affects men in many ways. It affects men's pockets. It affects men that if a woman is not uh, allowed to get an abortion, either because a clinic isn't available or because it's outlawed or whatever, well, the man, if there's a man in the picture who also would like to not be a father at that moment, well, you're also affected. Um, there, are, you know, men are affected by this. And even if you're not with a woman, even if you're, you know, a man who's gay or single and has nothing to do with a woman, it's still an economic issue that's going to affect your bottom line. So I would really like for the Democrats to, I mean, part of the reason they're not talking about it is because the people who are um, hosting the debates aren't asking those questions. Mm -hmm. um, but Kristen, Kristen, Kirsten Gillibrand found ways to bring it in. Yeah. You know, so I put some of the responsibility on the candidates because the candidates should find ways, just like Kamala Harris found a way to bring up the fact that while they were spending an hour on health care, um, she found a way to point out how Trump is trying to ruin health care. So it's yeah. not just about how Democrats are going to, you know, make health care better. We also have to look at how Trump is trying to ruin it. So. Anyway, I just had to throw that in there because it's really pissing me off that women are 51% of the population. And most, you know, in, in, during all three debates, there was a very brief period of time where, where these issues were brought up. Also, we have some more breaking news. And it involves Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Netanyahu. <laughs> it involves Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. <laughs> uh, exit polls in three main TV and the three main TV channels in Israel predict that Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu <laughs> has lost the elections oh, really? with his right wing bloc not reaching sixty one seats majority. Wow. Oh my God. Uh, there's hope, isn't there? Yeah, there is a little bit of hope that we might not have to deal with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu anymore. <laughs> God damn it. Well, you know, got to wrap things up here, but we've got lots more to talk about, and we'll just shove everything over into our post-mortem show. Can I, can I say something? Yes, of course you can say to, lots of things. I just wanted to send everybody over to my... Um, Amazon page, which is Kimberly A. Johnson, Kimberly Ann Johnson, whatever, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. Link in the description. Yeah. And, um, and then to my author page and then also to my mom, because my mom and I are partners in writing and her name is Ann Werner. And she's written a bunch of thrillers. Crazy is my favorite. It's about a, a satanic serial killer who's killing six-foot blondes in Los Angeles. So anyway, just wanted to plug those in there. That sounds fun. And it, it's fun. There's actually some humor in it. That sounds a, like a light autumn read. <laughs> I guess it is fun. It's a fun, fun read. And it's kind of loosely based on me. Uh, Halloween's right around the corner, yeah. too. So it's a great time <laughs> to pick up. Uh, and uh, we can't forget that I wrote Peyton's Choice about teen abortion. And I'm following it up with... Um, Peyton's Choice 2? No, what, what, what were we calling it? Peyton's Choice, Peyton's Choice 2, Peyton's Fetus Rides the Rails. Right. <laughs> That's where, at the end of Peyton's Choice, Peyton's Fetus escapes. <laughs> and uh, it becomes a hobo and rides the rails. Yeah, rides the rails with a bunch of hobos. <laughs> with his stick and bandana full of whatever he owns. <laughs> with his little knapsack at the end of a stick <laughs> slung over his shoulder. <laughs> a little straw hat. Get ready, everyone. <laughs>
<laughs> That's not really a book. <laughs> Although, boy, would I love to see that book. <laughs> uh, you're willing. It'll be a children's book. <laughs> Can I write just a fan fiction version of it? I'll just do that. I'll just do that. Okay, yeah, that is uh, patreon.com slash Kimberly A. Johnson. By the way, there's an extra E in Kimberly. Right, and the, the to, L-E-Y. L-E-Y. You'll, I was going to say you have to guess where the extra E and, goes. And then also on Amazon. Yeah. Patreon.com slash start me up also. Meanwhile, Sexy Liberal Podcast Network, all the greatest shows on the internets. Uh, Holly, uh, Jody Hamilton's From the Bunker Podcast. I don't know why I almost said Holly there. I just <laughs> called Jody Hamilton Holly. Uh, Stephanie Miller's Happy Hour, Randy Rhodes After Hour Show, Dino Badala's I Want to Be Your Muslim Friend, Sanity with John Fugel saying the final word with Frangela. The Great Rude Pundit, Proud Resistor, Dana Goldberg, and so many more. That's SexyLiberal.com. Oh, and this show is part of it, too. How about that? <laughs> uh, again, tell all your friends about SexyLiberal.com, and then uh, listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right, that's it for the show. See you on our Patreon page. Our postmortem show is coming up next. Patreon.com slash Show or just BobSeskaShow.com. Take care, folks. Bye-bye. Bye. Of Benjamin Yatton. The old rules are the new rules, the new rules are the old rules. These were new rules. These rules were here all along. Hey, it's Stephanie Miller, America's original sexy liberal. If you don't count Miller Fillmore, come join us for the Happy Hour podcast. You're probably already doing plenty of drinking and swearing with this stain of a president in office. Well, join me and my celebrity and comedian friends for a raunchy, uncensored ride through politics and pop culture. Pants optional. Hear that? That's the sound of change being cooked up in our schools. Each day, school food professionals throughout California are working to make better meals for our kids, one tray at a time. These meal planning, sauce stirring, taste bud training professionals are making food for students from kindergarten to high school using fresher ingredients and flavors kids love. The secret ingredient to better school food in California? The dedicated professionals who are improving it every day. Learn more about how they're cooking up change at schoolfoodpros.org. Grant provided by California Community College's Chancellor's Office.